0: Hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and we're back. It's episode 5 of Cage Rage, and Nicholas Cage podcast. Thank you for tuning in, catching up. It's good to be with you again. We're back, we're doing it. As ever, we'll get the socials out of the way first this time. You almost leave it to the end. Let's flip it around. Let's flip side reverse it. You can follow us on Twitter, at cage underscore pod, and you can follow us on Instagram, Cage Rage Podcast. So that's good. That's good, isn't it? Uh, YouTube as well. That's a thing. We're on YouTube. At, um, well, I suppose it's the name of this, isn't it? Cage Rage, <laughs> Nicholas Cage Podcast. So there you go. I say sorry in advance. A few apologies to start off, actually. <laughs> Sorry if I sound a little bit scatterbrained, um I have only recently woken up, it's half one in the PM recording this. To be honest my sleep pattern during all this quarantine madness is trashed. It's gone. Um I, I'm going to bed at anywhere from two in the morning onwards now and waking up at around eleven or twelve, wondering why I've got banging headaches. I honestly don't know how anyone wakes up before twelve o'clock anymore. People who still have jobs throughout all of this and are waking up at six, seven, eight—God bless you. You're a better person than me. You've got more organisation in your life than I'll ever have. All I've got is um, I don't know, Nicolas Cage, the podcast, Twitter. I've got a got to stay off Twitter. So much badness. This is where I'm getting all my news now. Coming fresh off the big return. Briefing from old Bojo himself, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson, the answer to what if salad cream was racist, telling everyone that this has been a success when 26,000 people are dead and we've got the third highest death rate in Europe. So, you know, if if that's your measure of success, then I'd love to see what your measure of failure is, you absolute wobbly cockwomble. Moving on, we'll try not to... Keep politics into this too much. Like I say, it's a uh, very scattered rain. Also, last week's episode, apologies, it went up a little bit late on YouTube. I uh, completely lost all track of time. That's what's happened there. And apologies as well that for about three, four minutes in that episode, a car alarm went off in the background. My bad for not catching it. Um, the headphones I wear, they're fairly noise cancelling in the sense that I can't really hear anything outside of my own voice, so I didn't catch the burglary until very late into the editing Um, I say editing, it's really just me cutting out uncomfortable pauses silences and me making horrible sounds with my mouth and some listeners have caught the fact that my stomach often seems to rumble during these. Uh, I think it's just a something about the Cage Man that just works up a big appetite in me. So, it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. We move on. Week five. The five-time, 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 five-time Nicolas Cage Spinneroonie Champ to the final film of his 1984 stretch. It's Birdie. We move on to Birdie. And this is a film, another film set in the past, set in the 50s and 60s based on the 1978 novel Birdie by William Wharton, directed by Alan Parker. Uh, Good film, this very good film actually. This one Importantly, I think it's important to address at the top of the discussion here, a bit of a history-making film for Nicolas Cage. Not only was this uh, one of his first films that was nominated for a few different awards, won some awards actually, also some technical wizardry, some technical history behind this film as well. So for those of you that say that Nicolas Cage is nothing but his screams okay in his later films it's hard to fault that but here we've got the makings of a man who knew a map a masterpiece when he saw one he knew a masterpiece when he saw one and he was all over it like hot on a hot thing so a bit of the behind the scenes just to top this here alan parker the director initially turned down the directing gig he believed that the novel was too complex to be adapted into a film, but would later return to helm in 1982, when the script was finally produced with shooting taking place between May and August of 84. Birdie, and this is where the technical marvel comes into it, also notable for being the first film to be partially shot with the Skycam, a computer-controlled camera system created by the inventor of the Steadicam, Garrett Brown, The music here as well, completely scored. Uh, An instrumental score by Peter Gabriel, formerly of Genesis. Uh, And just a little Daryl fact here. His album So, which contains songs like Big Time and Sledgehammer. I implore you to check those out if you haven't already. One of my top albums of all time. Um, His album So, one of the first albums I had on vinyl. Amazing record, if you're listening to this and you like a bit of 80s music, I'm telling you, that's where you go to. The film received mostly positive reviews, underperformed at the box office, unfortunately, grossing only 1.4 million dollars, against the budget of 12 million, holds an approval rating of 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, and additionally was chosen by the National Board of Review as one of the top 10 films of 1984, and even won the Grand Prix Special Jury Prize at the 1985 Cannes Film Festival, the second most prestigious award that Cannes offers. The first most impressive and important award is obviously the Cage Award for Greatness, which Nicholas Cage has won for the past 30 years or so, unrivaled. And in 1987, the film was the recipient of the Audience Award at the Warsaw International Film Festival. So there you go, history made in only the fifth film of Nick Cage's career. Need I say more to the doubters? Need I prove anything else to the haters? I think not. Nicolas Cage was interviewed with the New York Times in 84 as well. About the role, he plays the role of Al Columbato, the best friend of the titular Burley, and he said, I was terrified of the role of Al because it was like nothing I'd ever done before. And I didn't know how to get to the places the role was asking me to go emotionally. So for scenes in which Owl's face is disfigured and swathed in bandages, all set in the present, Cage, and this is how method he is, this is how committed to the role he is, and I've said this before, this is what you get with Nick Cage. You get full commitment, 110%, above and beyond. He'd lost 15 pounds, which you know in a lot of films, you gain weight, you lose weight to fulfil the role. That's understandable. He also, right, and tell me how many actors are doing this, had two of his front teeth pulled out. He added, I wanted to look like I was hit by a bomb. It gave me a feeling of something I had lost. I felt this was a once in a lifetime part, and it deserved that much. You see there? You see the commitment, you see the prowess, you see the power of Cage. He's read the script. Front to back. First page to last page. And he's immediately said. Right. Two front teeth. Coming out. And that's the end of it. And that's what gets you roles these days. You know. If you're a struggling actor. If you're trying to break into the industry. Consider having some teeth out. You could learn a lot from Cage here. Moving on to the actual film itself. Like I say. This was uh, really good. Really good. Not, not many hesitations or things to nay say or swat away on this. We get a lot of cage action and that's what we come for. That's what we stay for. We get a little bit of uh I say a little bit, we get a, a few raw dogs. Five films in a row. Why would we stop now? Hopefully we can make it six next week. You can see why it won a lot of awards at the time. Uh Quite a A powerful film in places. Nicolas Cage uh, carries a lot of the emotional heft of this film, I found personally, with uh, Matthew Modine, who plays Birdie. He has a very sort of introverted uh, vulnerability to him, even though there's a lot of scenes which say much. It's a very good casting, a very good two-way casting. Uh, Applause to all the casting folks who got Cage on board. That's an immediate yes from me. So we'll move into the film now. We get the film beginning in a psychiatric cell. We do flip a bit between the past and the present here so we can understand what's led Birdie to being in this cell. Um, He's in his cell. He's looking out the window. The notes I made here was that he had feet like Gollum. I think that's a descriptive thing to note now. You know, sometimes... Toe thumbs. Let's talk about toe thumbs there. And I'm sorry, this is just me, this is my opinion, this is my my venting time. Toe thumbs are unacceptable. Toe thumbs are unacceptable. There I said it. Kind freaks me out. Uh, in the same way that people with a higher gum-to-teeth ratio always seem to be married with two kids. There are just some things in this world that we're never going to understand. That just don't make sense. It's a weird thing. It's one of those things I can't explain to you succinctly or eruditely why I don't like these things. Again, it's just me. You know sometimes that you just don't like something, and you can't really articulate why. But deep down, in the very core of your DNA, it's just this primal understanding that makes sense. Just the rage that you hold on to. You know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't, reach out on the socials uh, at cage underscore podcast on Twitter at cage rage podcast on Instagram. Um, I feel like I'm plugging these a lot. No one's very limited engagements, you know. We get a few likes here and there, but it'd be nice to have a, a little bit more. So, you know, there's only so much dick swinging having a show on Spotify can do. He's got Gollum feet. Um, this is the point that I'm making here. This is the thing that I'm noticing now. That if you you look at the feet here, and then you cross-reference it with Gollum's feet in Lord of the Rings uh, 2 Towers, and it sounds like, you know, I know how I sound. I know how this is coming across. I know it sounds like I'm full of shit, and this is just a madman staring out his window. But that's fine you cross-reference the two, right, and then you come back to me, and you don't have to apologise when I've been proven right again. And at the end of this, these 110-plus episodes when we can finally conclude that Nicolas Cage is the greatest actor of all time, I'm not asking for apologies. I'm not asking for you to say, you know what, you were right the whole time. It's fine, you know. I'm here to will people on board... Come along on the journey to true cage nirvana. There's plenty of seats on the train up here in first class with me. Your conductor, your driver, I'm pumping coal into that thing. Train still take coal? Maybe electric? I think a cage train would take coal. Now, new record as well. Two minutes, 50 seconds. We have our first Nicolas Cage sighting confirmed. New records being set. We're making history. We're winning awards. We're getting Cage even earlier. Now he's being wheeled out on a gurney here. His face is covered in bandages. He's wrapped all over like a mummy. But sans some sweet Cage quiff poking up there. The telltale sign of Ateas Cage. Uh, The doctor is reapplying the bandages. And Cage quips that he feels like the Invisible Man. Quite frankly... This is a man whose mood you cannot knock. You can't bring him down. He could just be a head in a jar and he'd still be smiling and having a great time. And having two teeth pulled out because he's that committed to the role he's been given. Next up, we've got him taking a train. He's reflecting upon Birdie when they first met and, as he quotes, the things Birdie put him through. So we flash back to Cage playing baseball. Most importantly... Okay, the story is there as well, but he's wearing a shirt with the sleeves cut off, and somehow his arms have gotten bigger. I'm just throwing it out there. He could strangle you with these arms, these 84 peak Cage arms, and you'd probably climax in about five seconds because you were so grateful this opportunity was happening. Now, I think Cage is supposed to be playing a team here, like 16, 17, 18, it's not really specified how old he is or supposed to be, but he looks about 10 years older than anyone else on the field. That's just how good his acting range is. You know, If you want him to play 50, he'll play 50. If you want him to play 5, he can do that as well. And he'll always look like a handsome, strapping young lad who's off to save his country. Oh, and in case you're wondering as well, um... In terms of baseball, naturally, Cage hits it out of the park. Of course he does. What did you think was going to happen? Did you think he was going to dud it? He was going to swing and miss? How dare you? How dare you? Do you know nothing about the greatest actor who ever lived? He's not only a good actor, he's a great sportsman. The sportingest of men as well. And next, you were wondering as well, well, where's when we're going to get some real Cage action? Let me tell you. Right next, he's smooching a whammon. Under the bleachers, he's having a little grope. I've noticed now. Um, five films in, any time Nicholas Cage uh, Nicholas Cage has a kissing scene with a woman, <laughs> he grabs the tit. He gropes the tit straight away. That is his technique. That's the technique. He's done it every film that he's had a kissing scene in is always gone. Right hand, left breast, and he's not, he's not grabbing at it, he's not a monster, he's, he's more sensual than that. He's very respectful. I want it said that he's a respecter of women, let's make that very clear. Um, and that's his technique. That's you know, you don't just learn that in your Stanislavsky acting books and your Brechtian theater tropes and techniques. That's the that's the range of a man who had so much experience before his time, that you just a gentle cup, right there, and that really that really brings you into the scene. It brings you in in a way that you didn't know was possible. So he goes to see Birdie next, aptly named Birdie, because of his knowledge and love of the burb. A child cage's brother accuses Birdie of stealing his knife. Cage confronts him. He's a good brother. They have a little scuffle, but the boy says that someone else stole it. It's a classic misunderstanding. Anyone could fall into it. But Cage gives him the knife back. Silly brother pulling out the power of Cage for no bloody reason. Birdie explains he likes pigeons because they fly, which is enough to him. He's training the pigeon, the pigeon boys, to be carrier pigeons. Now Cage's brother notes that Hey, you know what? A lot of kids in the 50s would buy a carrier pigeon. So Cage clocks on, he knows a money-making gambit when he sees one, and he's going to help Birdie catch some, catch some pigeons, stop those pigeons. And thus, a friendship was born. All you need is a bird and a dream, and Cage is on your side. Birdie shows him the ropes of catching the birds. They climb under a bridge. Snag some of the Pidge McGee's. I will note, Cage does tell one of the pigeons to... and Let me just check my notes here. uh, And I quote, Fuck you, to one of the pigeons. Then we get a little instrumental montage of them catching and training pigeons. If you thought the Rocky music montage was good, you've seen nothing. Right, you've seen nothing until you've seen Nicolas Cage under a bridge, catching pigeons which can only lead us to the inevitable score of Cage 1, Pigeons nil. In a bird coop afterwards, Birdie offers Cage a pigeon suit. Um, this this is just the definition of when you create a character in a video game, and then they end up in a serious scene. So the suit is supposed to be so that the pigeons are lulled into the false sense of security and they think that you are one of them. And Cage, he does say, yeah, look, I won't be caught dead in the pigeon suit, not with hair this good in 1984. However, very next scene, the team player award goes to, well, obviously it goes to Nicolas Cage, doesn't he? Who else is wearing the pigeon suit? He's suited and booted to the nines in pigeon feathers glow, And all the pigeons are cooing over this hot look. Cage is giving us his... Pigeon fantasy, this bird realness, he's straying down that runway looking like he owns the world. He owns all of the bird seed. And he can't fault him. Absolutely top luck. Uh teamed off with a pair of converse to keep him grounded, keep him casual for that era as well. So the time climb on top of a industrial building to go pigeon snagging birdie. Falls off of the roof. But it's like, you know what? I'm going to fly. I can fly. I can make it down to this sandpit. Sweet on mum. by the way. For the wrestling fans out there. Uh, aimed it. Trajectory. Perfect. On point. Hits the sand pile. We go back to the present day you now. Cage was visiting Birdie in the psychiatric hospital. Doctor's asking Cage for his opinion. Now, Nicholas Cage is not a doctor. He can give you a medical opinion. And to be honest... 10 times out of 10, the diagnosis that he obviously was going to be completely correct. He notes that Birdie's been sat on the floor. He's not spoken in a while. And what they want is Cage to enact the healing shamanistic powers of the spirit to hopefully get Birdie back to his former self. Because Birdie was in Nam for a little bit with Cage. Birdie went missing for a month in action. So they hope that Cage can trigger some memories, get him talking again. And quite frankly, the healing properties of Cage cannot be measured by modern scientific means. You can try, but all your scales are going to break kilowatts, more like knicker cages. They talk about Birdie some more, and Cage explains that after his time in Vietnam, he survived an explosion, but his face took an absolute whipping Quite frankly, he's got a steel jaw now, which he thought sounded good, but it's actually worse than a glass jaw, because being punched will send the pins into his brain. And if, like me, you've heard this, no one would dare punch our lord and saviour Cage anywhere, you cowards. Cage is taken to Birdie. Now, not only his feet, but Birdie almost moves like Gollum in a straight jacket. You just imagine Gollum a bit more contained. Um, no arm capability, capacity, just scrapping around on his hing legs. Cage does talk to Birdie. He doesn't trust the Doctor. He says that the Doctor finds everything too interesting. Maybe it's just being in Cage's presence. You know, Cage is there in front of you, he's talking. Wouldn't you suddenly find everything interesting as well? I'm five episodes in, five films deep. And there's nothing else in my life that matters but the pursuit of Cage and Cage Nirvana. The nurse arrives. Hannah tries to feed Birdie. He honestly looks like he is being fed birdseed. It's some kind of Vietnam War veteran slop. Answers on a postcard about that one. Cage leaves and Birdie's just longing and looking out of the cell window. Back to the past again. Birdie's examined by a doctor. Cage, still in the full bird costume. He could have got changed at any point. Didn't do it. Solidarity with Birdie and his bird brethren. He tells a woman sitting next to him that Birdie broke his leg. Uh, some great straight man work here from Cage. It's again, I can't I can't say this enough to so much range. We've got you know the heights of emotion, we've got some comedic straight man acting where the woman next to him just reacts. He's in a bird costume. He's looking good throughout all of this. Can't fault him in this film. Can not fault him. He's making the pigeon realness look normal. Now after Birdie's out of the hospital, Cage suggests that the bird business is over. Because Birdie's mum's taking the treehouse down at the coop outside. Birdie says that Cage doesn't understand birds, but the fact is that Nicolas Cage understands everything. You give him any topic, any mastermind topic, right, you sit him down in a hot seat, and he will achieve questioning scores like you've never seen. If you put Nicolas Cage by himself in a Zoom pub quiz, just give up, disconnect, yank out your internet router, yeet it against the brick wall, You've already lost. You've already lost, you idiot. You stupid person. However, Cage puts this aside. He's a good man. And he suggests another venture. He suggests that they go into business with a local scrapyard owner. The scrapyard owner has a flat cap on, so you know he's high in the scrap rankings. In my notes, I just put, I miss Scrap Heap Challenge. Remember that Scrap Heap Challenge was on Channel 4 all the time? Just go tinkering around like the A-Team in a pile of shit. And you come out with a working 4x4. Four four. Incredible stuff. Amazing. As a former Bargain Hunt champion, I can really appreciate the hustle and the grind. The pair of going into fixing of old cars. Jack of all trades. More like Nick of all cages. Together they get their first car running. And they have a lovely little pretend drive. They drive to the ocean. Nick Cage, of course. Chauffeuring Birdie because that's what he does. He'll lead the imagination train and he'll take you to the beach. Well, eventually, they go to the actual beach. Nick Cage isn't going to leave you hanging high and dry like that. Birdie's having a great time in the sea. They go on a roller coaster together. Birdie's flapping away. Cage, he's been gone an hour, he's picked up two chicks naturally. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if he found time to raw dog, whilst on the ride, they should rename the Big Dipper to the Raw Dog. Blackpool Pleasure Beach, if you're listening, get in touch. I've got some ideas. Now Cage is so busy tonguing with his woman, respectfully again, and later. And get this, because I think you can. I think for the avid listeners, you probably know where I'm going with this. For the fifth film in a row. Nick Cage, his raw doggin', cheap hogging, keeping on rocking right on that beach, just like that song, Sex on the Beach. You know, I don't, I don't want to go on about it, I know it's become a bit of a recurring thing, but Nick Cage is showing this woman so much respect, groaning, more like being treated equally, am I right? However, my friend gets a little bit creeped out by Birdie, she storms off. Nicholas Cage's date has to go and accompany her and runs off in the middle of a hog, which is a bit um, bit rude, if you ask me, but again, just my opinion. So Cage, like the brotherly figure, the olive branch hosting saviour that he is, he offers Birdie some tips. He says you've got to talk more, you've got to act interested. Don't just talk about birds. Maybe talk about white goods like kettles. Um... Renaissance period art. You know, some of my specialities. Lessons to be learned all around there. If anyone's sort of struggling with the the dating game, some great tips here. As Cage laments that Birdie's Chick had, and I'm going to paraphrase all of the descriptive words he used here, Birdie's Chick had great jugs, big Great, round, fleshy, full tits. He's very defensive of women's breasts because Birdie has no idea what he's missing. Cage lets us know that he was feeling the whole tit. And important to note, the whole tit here in Cage terms is nipple and all. But Birdie's not so impressed by the whole tit. So I pose the question to you, the Cage Rage listeners. Whose side are you on? The side of Nick Cage or Burr? They are just mammary glands, D. Answers on the postcard. Get in touch on the socials. Leave a comment on the YouTube video below. Team Cage or Team Birdie. I know which one you should be on, but no pressure from me. No pressure from me. Unfortunately, they get arrested for reasons not made too clear. I think it's something about the car that they took. But Cage's dad gets him out. Cage gets a fatherly slap for the Troubles. Great. Kid's crying now. Nice one. We go back to the present. Cage tries again with Birdie. He's getting a bit frustrated that he won't talk. Cage knows that he's acting like a bird in his cell, but he's not going to tell the Doctor because he's scared that the Doctor's going to keep him as a test subject forever. So, again, Nick Cage, you can trust him with your secrets. You can trust him with your ventures and your stories. He's going to keep it on lockdown. Nick Cage has got the city on lockdown. Drive him with a top down. Need I say more? He's a good guy. Good guy. Trustworthy man. And then he'll raw dog your wife. Doesn't matter. So in the past Birdie visits a bird breeder. He becomes infatuated with this yellow canary called Petra. The canary, a feisty independent bird. She won't let any of the males mate with her. Birdie likes the way that she flies. He goes all crisp Packham. On Petra, and probably Kisses, maybe. I don't know. I've never, can't say I've ever tasted a bird beak. Um, some cultures might imply that they're aphrodisiacs. Again, I don't know. Surely the only aphrodisiac you need is the sweet thought of Cage and groundbreaking film after film. Cage and Birdie had to sell the car that they fixed, but they plot to get it back, even though it was sold. It was in Cage's dad's name. Uh, Cage's dad calls Birdie a skinny bucket of piss. Skinny, yes. Streak of piss. A bucket of piss, though. Buckets are usually known for... the weight they can carry. Maybe it was a big thing in the 50s. I'm not going to tell the 50s how to insult bird lovers. Alright? Jump back to the present again. There's a lot of jumping back and forth here, but you can keep up with it. It's very clear where we are, so it's not very not a very confusing film to watch. Um... weird mix on the same day yesterday as when I'm recording this. I also watched American Psycho as well to app me up for a Cage film. If you're going to go into a Cage film, you've got to go in with a bloodlust, a certain bloodlust, otherwise you're just not going to make it through 110 films. Do you know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? In the present, Cage tells Birdie he doesn't understand life, but if there were dignity, there wouldn't be sex. So Nick Cage... He's a man of the people, ladies and gentlemen. He's on the level. He also has a dream about the Nam War, and an explosion. He wakes up screaming. Probably got some PTSD there. Another officer, the doctor's secretary, has a file on Cage. He's asking about if there's any history of insanity in his family. You just wait until Cage's later films, mate. You've got no fucking idea what you're dealing with there. The doctor asks Cage further questions about the car incident. Cage spoon-feeds Birdie some goop. Maybe some more birdseed. But Cage notes, because he's a keen eye, that Birdie gives him a cockeyed look and he knows it means something. And he thinks, that Birdie thinks, that maybe Cage is hitting on the nurse. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Who knows? Is he? He definitely is. And that will come up later. Back into the past, we are in a classroom setting now. Birdie is up front. He's got a show and tell about the biology of birds, about their wings, about their feathers. He makes this sort of wind-up, flapping plane thing that's just sort of flying around the top of the classroom. It's actually very impressive, uh, to be honest, and I kind of want to make one myself. Keeps the class's attention, but he then does plummet and lands in front of Doris, who has a keen eye for the Birdman. Uh, Now, my initial thoughts here is that I think Birdie should be making Doris a bird costume. They can climb a tree, have some real kinky sex. Just a thought, just a thought. Birdie asks his dad, who's the janitor of the school, for another canary, a male, to mate with Perta. They eventually concede. Get the mail. The bird is named after Al, Al Columbata, his best friend. That's Bloody Cage, that is. And we're not just talking about humans here. The bird. It's keen to raw dog, Perta. Of course it is. Um or in bird terms, is it raw birding? Is it hot birding? Is it cooking the bird for thirty minutes on two hundred and twenty degrees? Birdie and Cage are working out. Cage is ripped. Abs glistening in the sun. I mean, when raw dogging is as big a part of the routine as Nicolas Cage's are, of course, you look great. Of course you do. My routine, it's waking up at 12, looking at my phone for about half an hour, and then thinking, oh, I've got a long day of sitting down to look forward to. And then that's exactly what I do and lose all the feeling in my legs. Again, at a rubbish heap, Birdie saves a seagull from snake. Now, I understand he's got a thing for birds. In my opinion, he probably should have left it because seagulls are the gits of the bird world. They're up there with geese. But seagulls are unquestionably more evil, back in my uni days, the most harrowing thing, to this day, I have ever seen was a massive seagull swallowing a dead blackbird whole. Ugh, I'm honestly in a cold, terrified sweat just thinking about it. And afterwards, because even though it was a terrifying thing to watch, It's also one of those car crash-like scenarios that you can't take your eye off, and I swear to you, no word of a lie, after he'd swallowed that bird, the seagull lit a cigarette and blew smoke in my face. I swear to God. He put his beak next to my ear and he said, No one will believe you, Ginge, and he flew off and shat on a child. At the Scrappy Birdie has conceived a winged flying device like is one of the Wright brothers. He mounts the bike handlebars piloted by Cage looking like E.T. and flaps as Cage pedals to the soundtrack of La Bamba. So the one, uh, the one musical interlude, the actual song we get that's not a Peter Gabriel inspired piece is La Bamba. It's not the first time that this song will turn up, it'll turn up again later. Um, Birdie is yeeted, not so much flying as falling in style before landing in a trash pool. Cage fishes him out, gets some sneezes for his troubles, because even before he was drafted to Vietnam, he was a true American hero. In the present, Cage and the Doctor talk again. Cage says Birdie smiled when he mentioned that he got sick any time he saved Birdie, but Doc writes it off as Dissociative Disorder. Cage lashes out, but it inspires him to go back to another memory. Birdie's mother would hide baseballs, and Birdie was apologetic, obsessed with getting them back. So Cage proposes, big brain, wrinkled brain, galaxy brain Cage, proposes that if they can get the baseballs, it might trigger something in Birdie. And the doctor agrees. Cage's stay is extended. Good work, Cage. You are the medical mind that we need cracking cases left right and center Sherlock Holmes eat your fucking heart out back in the past we see Cage and Birdie's next venture the riding with the junkyard jerk from earlier we learn his name is Segesa s-e-g-e-s-s-a and what they're doing is catching stray dogs they use uh, big nets between Birdie and Cage and Seggy has a comically large net. Um, imagine a net you could fit upwards of three small children in, and that's close to the size that we're talking about here. Price-wise, it's a dollar a dog. There are five dogs to bag. So big money. Dog catching big money back then. Seggy bread falls. The dogs escape. Labamba again, as they pursue the hounds. Labamba is the anthem of ill people trying to fly and putting dogs in massive nets. Not just a Guitar Hero song, so many practical uses for Labamba. Overall, I think they clocked about a respectable $7 worth of hound at the end. We get a dog owner who chases them in a car. Uh, he rams into them with his truck, saying that they caught his dog. Cage, the defender of the hound business, calls him an asshole, slaps the car on the bonnet a few times for good measure. Seggy Bebop drives them to a building where unfortunately they go to exterminate the dogs. But Birdie, not a fan of this. He and the dog owner hold back Seggy Man Boy, while Cage, the complete and massive humanitarian he is, releases the dogs and they run for it. So just cast your mind back to the nineties when once upon a time the Baja men asked who Let the docs out. The answer, Nicholas Cage. Later in the past, Birdie's bird Petra is attacked by a ginger cat. I will apologise on behalf of all gingers, human, animal alike. This is a thing that we do. Don't judge us for it. It's just the way that our DNA is structured. Birdie honestly nearly breaks this cat's neck trying to uh, resuscitate it. He gives it mouth-to-beak resuscitation, blows right in that little beak, gets that bird back to life. Um, Poor cat, poor bird. I assume Birdie was more into the resuscitation and might have slipped in a little bit of tongue. Nothing that Chris Packham wouldn't have done from Spring Watch. If you have followed the work of Chris Packham, you know that he has kissed a few owls on the beaks in his years. Always below the radar, but Packham, I'm on to you, and I know what you've done. In the present, Cage, he's now frustrated with Birdie because he's not talking, and he's scared. He's scared for them both because he feels that like they're clocking onto him as well. He's scared they're both going to end up in the proverbial bird cages, and he trashes Birdie. He calls him a loser, and he doesn't mean it. He's coming from a good place. At Hannah the nurse the lambasts Cage. He says, Birdie's upset. And Birdie is part of her job. But Cage tearfully retorts that Birdie is part of his goddamn life. What emotion. What power. What mastery of the scene. Outside of the room, Hannah consoles Cage. Um, Cage, for some reason, immediately caresses Hannah's tit. You know the technique we talked about earlier? Right hand, left cup. Straight in, that's the technique. He does mention that he's not touched a woman in a long time, and I can't even imagine how much the urge how much the urge to resist raw dogging is being fought back right now. Cause you know Cage's method, you know he's gotta do it how he's gotta do it, and we're not gonna judge him for that. This is his show, goddammit. In the past, Birdie describes a dream where he I think he fucks the bird. He says that if he with her, he definitely uses the sentence that he entered her. Uh, hey, look, I'm not trying to kink-shame anyone here, but... Cool. <laughs> uh, later, he watches some newborn chicks hatch. It's slightly horrifying, actually, watching newborn chicks hatch. Uh, it's like little pink Freddy Krueger's emerging from shells. Birdie goes to prom with Doris, forced by his mother to go. He's very uncomfortable, but Cage, ever the present companion, offers silent encouragement that he should be cupping her. Cupping her behind. See, cage 101. Cup ass, cup tit, tongue and hog. Birdie and Doris drive up to a little Lover's Lane area, both a bit too awkward to commit to a prom bonk. Although Birdie, to his credit, he does get to cop a feel of tit, so, I don't know, good for him, I guess. He dinks it around like a cat, just sort of feeps it with his... His little finger tits. Finger tits lol. Finger tips. Um, Amazing. Back in his room, Birdie strips off in the bird coop that he's got in his room. He just lies down on the newspaper like a hound has just been shouted at for pissing on the floor. He kisses his bird here. It's a bit weird, like he places it on his lips like he's trying to commit a sexual act with it. I will point out though, uh Perta's fella, he is flapping about like crazy in his cage, he's livid. He hates this watching his his actual bird bird get felt up by a human man. He's fucking scorning, he's raging. He wants to kill him. And he would as well if you if you saw that, but you were caught up in a cage. You know, your partner getting felt up by a bird man. Oh, nonsense. Utter fucking nonsense. Call the cops. Have him arrested. bird not. Birdie goes into a a dreamlike sequence as well, gets a very vivid born-again vision of him as a bird. He imagines himself as a bird, all flying around the area, the alleys, the streets, the fields, and this is where we get the sky cam zipping around, or horny bird vision, as I'm going to call it. And what we're witnessing right now is Raging Birdhog, but cinematic history all the same. So this is what we come for. We come for the Cage. We come for the factoids. We stay for the history. Amazing. Incredible. What a pleasure and honour to be a part of this. Now Cage himself flashes back to being in Vietnam, trying to help a fallen comrade. We get an explosion. Bloody Cage. Um, Some horrific screaming that we know will come back to be one of his mastered acting staples down the line, and he's thrown into a medical chopper. In the present, he's worried that he's losing it, but he's interrupted by the delivery of the baseballs. He's ecstatic. Birdie doesn't react. And now Cage is worried again he's going to get locked up like Birdie. Speaking of being locked up, we go back to the past where Cage wakes up Birdie naked in his coop, and asks him to tell him everything about the night, but Doris. But Birdie says, "Oh, um, I flew, but I can't explain it. It's something you've got to feel." And Cage rightfully tells him that this is too weird. I'm a little bit sick of you jerking it to avian creatures. Uh, fair play, fair play. I think we've all got our limit with people who kiss birds on the neck, looking for a bit of action. And this was Cage's, and I'm completely on team Cage about this. We also see from the past as well Birdie watching from his bedroom window as Cage leaves to be deployed in Vietnam, full suit and booted for the occasion. Unfortunately, the female bird escapes Birdie's window, she flies about, but when she returns to Birdie's room, she crashes through the window and dies. It's very emotional for Birdie. And Perta, the yellow canary, is survived by Al the Bird and her two children, Nick. And Cage Bird, a moment of silence for the lost. A little bit later in the past, we see Birdie survive a helicopter crash in Nam. He watches Toucan and other birds fly. Big explosion in the distance. We see Birdie surrounded by wreckage, fire, corpses, screams. This is just a standard day in the office for Nick Cage, so catch up, sunshine. This is just a standard day in the office for Cage. You need to catch up and get good, son. Otherwise, you're not winning any awards or getting the sweet Netflix deal that Cage has. You know what I'm saying? Now, finally, we go back to the present. Big finale time here. Birdie is crying in his room. Cage is consoling him. He's holding him close, telling Birdie, I'm not going to leave you again. Hannah comes to get Cage. Look, it's time to leave. We can't fix Birdie. You've got to go. But Cage isn't going. Such is the loyalty. He says to Birdie softly, Because of the war, because of my facial injury, I don't really know who I am anymore. Maybe they should go crazy together. Maybe Birdie's got it figured out by feigning insanity so that everyone leaves him alone and that you don't have to go out into the world and be something you're not sure that you are. And Cage says... Yeah, you're right, let's go crazy, let's throw shit at the walls. But Birdie, out of nowhere, looks up to Cage and tells him he's so full of shit. And there we are, folks, nearly two hours into the film, proven beyond all shadow of a doubt, the spiritual healing power of Cage, proven for all to see. You just give him some time, Maybe he cops a feel of your tit. That's the full price package. You go with what you can afford. And you're healed. All your ailments are gone. Cage, he is so happy that Birdie's speaking. And he says, well, how, can, how come you can speak now? Birdie says that. Cage, well, you needed me. So here I am. And he got through to him because Cage needed him. However, when the doctor turns up again, he goes silent, adding that I didn't have anything to say to him. Brilliant. Nice one. Made Cage look like a right knobhead. Eh? Cage is attacked by two orderlies. We get a sweet bit of Cage action. Judo throws one. Slaps another one down. Kicks the first one in the groin. Classic Cage move. They make a break. Out of the cell. Escape to the roof. As Cage is barricading the door. Birdie takes point. On the side of the roof. Extends his arms like he's trying to fly again. You're thinking, oh shit, have he still bird brained? Was, was it the case that Cage's healing powers were false? And he's a false god. He jumps off in slow motion. Cage begs him to stop. Uh, unfortunately, it turns out he just jumped to a lower roof like five foot. So there we go. 100% accurate. The healing powers of Cage. Incredible. Birdie turns to Cage and says, what? As the film ends, we hit the credits, and we are treated to our third rendition of La Bamba, an absolute La Bamba Gascoigne feast, wonderful, delicious, chew it all up, feed it to the baby birds, incredible. and here we are, we're done. Episode 5, we've had an award-winning film, cinematic technical history being made, a Cage scream, emotional range, the commitment of Cage as well, to have two front teeth pulled for this role. So much to dissect, so much to talk about, so much to discuss. Overall, I, I again, I've got to say, like I said at the top of the episode, I thought this was a really good film. A great range from Cage. This is one of those films, I think, personally speaking, When people say, oh, I don't like Nick Cage as an actor. Nick Cage can't act. First of all, you hit them in the throat. When they've regained their oxygen and they can breathe again, you drag them to a screen and say, listen here, you mouthy little shit. And you give them the the birdie treatment. You flip them the birdie, literally. You say, sit down, flip them the birdie. They'll come out of it two hours later in tears and say, you know what, I was wrong. I was so wrong. And then you say, it's all right. It's okay. It's not your fault. You hold them close to your chest, kiss them on the forehead and say, welcome aboard the train, the true cage nirvana. And that's all we're trying to do here. That's all we're trying to do is share the word, shed the light of our savior, the greatest actor of this generation Nicholas Cage, so from me, I'd give this I think a hearty eight point five out of ten really good film as a Nicholas Cage film, of course, ten out of ten. I would go as far to give this a silver cage. Look at that making history on the podcast as well. the first silver cage awarded to Birdie. This is one that I'd recommend that you go and seek out uh in all truth in all honesty, because I think you will bloody enjoy it. So to wrap up from myself, again, thanks for listening. If you have been, always a pleasure to watch some more Nicolas Cage films and share the load with y'all. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at Cage underscore podcast, Instagram, CageragePod, I'm on Spotify, a Cast. You can find us as well on YouTube. To search for Cage Ranger, Nicholas Cage Podcast. We've got four episodes up. There'll be another one. Subscribe to the Spotify OBS to get the episodes first. Again, apologies that this one is a little bit later than usual. I will try to get my sleep schedule back on some kind of human form. But in the same way, I like to think that I'm going as method as Nicolas Cage is. So, if anything, maybe it's a good thing. Who knows? Cage Rage Nicolas Cage Podcast Episode 5. Done. Dusted. We'll see you again next week. Same Cage time. Same Cage channel. And until then, remember to keep on, keep on caging. Bye.